Our New Testament scripture reading this Lord's Day is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ but with many of them God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything? Or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat. Asking no question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 
If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat, asking no question for conscience sake. But if any man say unto you, This is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that for which I give thanks? Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. The Lord bless the reading of his word this day, now the preaching of his word as well. Our text this Lord's Day is found in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 28, where we find these words, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. God has established specified boundaries in every area of life beyond which his creation may not pass apart from his decree. The waters upon the earth are established with boundaries, God says in Psalm 104, verse 9, where we read, Thou hast set a bound that they may not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. The habitations of men and where they live have their boundaries appointed by God, according to Acts 17, verse 26, where the Apostle Paul, preaching upon Mars Hill, says, speaking of God, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Even the exact number of days in a man's life has divine boundaries around it, according to Job 14.5. Job says, Seeing his days, that is man's days, are determined, the number of his months are with thee, thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. In fact, the psalmist declares, in Psalm 74, 17, 
that God has set all the borders or boundaries that exist in his creation. The psalmist declares, Thou hast set all the borders of the earth. Not some, but all of the borders and boundaries of the earth. Dear ones, the infinite God who has no boundaries, who has no limitations or borders, has not only set boundaries in the material realm of this world, but has also set boundaries within the moral realm of this world. This is one of the purposes of God's commandments. That is, to set moral boundaries for all men, women, and children in thought, word, and deed. This Lord's Day, I would have us consider together the landmarks or boundaries which God has set in our lives and the sin involved in moving those boundaries. There are two questions raised within our text that we must seek to answer this Lord's Day. The first question is this. What is the sin of moving the ancient landmark? And second, what is the landmark of our fathers? First of all, then, what is the sin of moving the ancient landmark? Solomon says in Proverbs 22:28, "Remove not the ancient landmark." Quite literally, Solomon commands us, "Stop moving the ancient boundary." For the Hebrew form of this prohibition actually assumes the sin of moving the ancient landmark is presently going on. And it must be stopped, and it must be stopped now, immediately. It cannot continue. Rather than giving the form of a universal prohibition, like this, thou shalt not move the ancient boundary. Solomon sees the gross sin of man in this area. And by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he commands man to stop moving the boundary now, immediately. Well, what were these landmarks that were being moved? In the ordinary sense of the word landmark, these landmarks would be understood in the days of Solomon as very common markers of some kind which divided one man's personal property from another man's personal property. Merle Unger says in his Bible dictionary that a landmark was a mark to designate the boundary of land, a stone, stake, or other monument. It basically said, this is where this person's property ends and this is where the next person's property begins. It circumscribed basically the property, the personal property of each person. 
And when we read in Proverbs 22:28, remove not, underscore that, those two words, remove not the ancient landmark. We ought not to conclude that what is forbidden in this verse is taking the landmarks out of the field altogether and hiding it or destroying it. Solomon is not saying, stop picking up those good old landmarks and carrying them off to where no one can find them. That is not what he's saying here. To the contrary, Solomon is saying, stop shoving or pushing the good old landmark a little bit at a time so that no one knows where it originally stood in the first place. For to shove the ancient landmark, dear ones, even a foot or two, is to rob one's neighbor of his property that has been given to him by God. Dear ones, listen carefully. It is not the degree to which the landmark is moved that God condemns here in Proverbs 22:28, but rather the landmark, the fact that it is moved at all, is what God condemns. Just as the ninth commandment does not merely forbid telling big lies, or telling many lies, but forbids telling all lies. So the Eighth Commandment does not merely forbid stealing a lot from your neighbor, it forbids stealing from your neighbor at all. Thou shalt not steal, period. Not question mark, period. It may be more aggravated of a sin to steal a lot or to steal many times, but dear ones, it is yet a sin which God condemns to steal it all. And thus to move the landmark a foot instead of a mile is not something which God condones. For you have still robbed your neighbor of his property. Just as you have robbed your neighbor if you've taken one dollar rather than a hundred dollars from him. Or have taken one hour from your employer instead of a hundred hours from your employer. It is still moving the landmark. You're still robbing your neighbor. The Eighth Commandment condemns, dear ones, all economic and political isms which disregard the moral right of personal property such as communism, socialism, and fascism. Personal ownership of property is necessarily assumed in the Eighth Commandment, for one cannot steal what is his own property, but only that which belongs to another. Just as we see in Acts chapter 5, verse 4, with regard to the words given by Peter to Ananias. Peter said to Ananias in Acts 5.4, While it remained, that is, this money from the property that Ananias sold, whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? 
Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. It is a moral right that we have to our own personal property, granted to us by God, not given to us by the, the rights or the laws of a civil government that comes from God. Put it for it is God who owns all the land, the cattle on a thousand hills are all his, and he gives to whom he desires and whom he pleases. Dear ones, to move these appointed markers was condemned by God as a cursed sin, as we see in the following passages of Scripture. In Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 14, notice that Solomon was simply repeating what God through Moses had previously said. Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of all time have set in thine inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. Likewise in Deuteronomy 27, verse 17, a curse is actually pronounced upon those who do move the landmarks, those ancient, good old landmarks. A curse is pronounced. Cursed be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Such landmarks, however, were not only sacred to Israel, but the Lord had imprinted the same moral law upon the hearts even of pagan nations who likewise recognized the sanctity of such landmarks and severely punish those who move them. Nations such as Babylon and Egypt and Greece and Rome. Dear ones, when we rob others of property, money or time, let us not forget, as was said just a moment ago, that God is the first and proper owner of all Property, honor, possessions, money, time. The psalmist declares, Psalm 24:1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Likewise, in Psalm 50, verse 12, we read, God speaking through the psalmist, If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Thus to rob our neighbor, dear ones, in this sense is even a much more grievous sin, for it is to rob God of what he gave to our neighbor. We may not like the fact that our neighbor has so much property, so many possessions. We may believe we could do a better job with those possessions and with that money. Maybe we could. But until God gives it to us lawfully and rightfully, we are not to steal or to rob from our neighbor. Even his, even his wickedness and ungodliness does not justify our taking from our neighbor. 
I would have you know, God will not long stay his mighty hand against those who rob from him and continue in their sin. As the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.22, do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Do we provoke the Lord to anger by robbing him? Are we stronger than he? It becomes so easy to rationalize our robbing God and others when we do it in such small increments, pushing the landmark just a little bit at a time. We could justify ourselves by many, many thoughts and, and reasons. I'm just borrowing it for now. I plan on returning it later, but later never seems to come around. How many times have we borrowed books permanently and not returned them to their rightful owners? Or we may hear, that store has so much there. It surely will not miss the little that I shoplift or take with me. I'm just going to move the landmark just a little bit. Not a whole lot. They're not going to miss a pack of gum candy bar. Look at all the stuff that they have there. Or we may rationalize this way. I am so needy, surely my need justifies my stealing in this case. Or I'm not doing this for myself or for someone who is much more needy than myself. I'm stealing for them. I'm moving the landmark for somebody else. Thus, the end justifies the means. That is, if we steal and move boundaries for the right reasons, it's justified. But dear ones, we do not do evil that good may come. The Word of God teaches. Again, I say it is not how far the boundary has been moved that makes us thieves, but that we have moved the boundary at all makes us a thief. And if it is easy to push the ancient landmark afoot at this particular time in our lives, it will be easier to push it two feet next time. And then it's much easier to push it five feet next time. And we will have little or no conscience at even picking up the landmark and carrying it a mile in the future. That's the way sin is. Listen to the sobering words of the Lord through the Apostle Paul with regard to thieves. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. But thank God for verse 11, and such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, 
But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Well, let us consider some other ways in which we may move the ancient boundaries. It's interesting that the Hebrew word translated remove here in Proverbs 22:28 is also used as a noun in Proverbs 14:14. 14, 14. See if you can tell which word or which noun in this verse is from the same root word. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways, and a good man shall be satisfied from himself. Yeah, it's the word backslider. That's what it means to move. To move the boundaries is a backslider. The boundaries have been established, but he's not satisfied with them. And unjustly and unrighteously moves them. He backs off or trespasses the boundaries. He backs slides, backslides against what was established. One who backslides from a position of truth or from a position of righteousness which he or she formally embraced is condemned as a boundary mover. In Proverbs 22:28, just another name for moving boundaries is a backslider. Let me draw your attention to, as I said, a, a couple ways in which we may remove ancient boundaries. Have you moved the good old boundaries in your life, dear ones, by falling into some sin which you continue to practice, perhaps even secretly practice? You may have everyone around you fooled, but you know you have moved the boundary of holiness in your own life. You know it. No one else may know it, but you know it. It's not a public scandal. It may be lust or pornography. It may be lying or cheating. It may be shoplifting. It may be prayerlessness in your life. It may be lukewarmness and apathy for the things of God due to the influence of the pleasures of this life or coveting the things of this life or due to the music to which you listen or the movies or sitcoms which you watch that have caused you to backslide been the occasion of your backsliding it may be a stubbornness or hardness of heart against the pricking of God's Holy Spirit within your conscience for we who are sinners by nature, let's be perfectly honest, we who are sinners by nature do not like boundaries. Due to the corruption of our own hearts, we by nature resent them and hate them because these moral boundaries tell us we are finite and limited creatures and we want to be gods determining our own boundaries. In our own sinful heart we say, Boundaries spoil our fun. Boundaries do not allow us to express ourselves as we would like. Boundaries limit our freedom. I hate boundaries. 
However, when the sinner comes to God, confessing his sin of hating God's holy boundaries, and he comes to God trusting alone in the Lord Jesus Christ for his righteousness, He comes to Jesus Christ who never ever once crossed over one of God's boundaries whether in thought, word or deed. Trusting in Christ for his forgiveness and forever erasing the numerous times that we have transgressed and moved those holy boundaries God has established in our life. And at that time God through his unbounded grace, begins to remove more and more from the heart of those who have been justified the hatred for God's holy boundaries and replaces it with a love for God's holy boundaries. And although the Christian may trespass across the moral boundaries that God has established in his, co- in his commandments, He no longer blames the holy boundaries which God has established, but blames himself as the culprit. Because those boundaries are perfect and holy and righteous. The problem is with us. We don't like them. We want to be God and establish our own boundaries. For the sinner, the believing sinner, is brought to shame at that point as he realizes he has sinned against not only the holiness of God and trespassing these holy boundaries but has also gone against the holy boundaries of God and against the wisdom of God and the love of God who gives those holy boundaries for our good and not for our hurt for our profit and not for our destruction as his people. Those holy boundaries, dear ones, are no longer a curse to us due to our weakness, sinfulness in the flesh. Those holy boundaries now to the Christian are the standard by which he shows his love for God, his thankfulness to God, his gratefulness to God for all that he has accomplished in his life. Another way in which we move the boundaries in our lives is not only through moving boundaries of righteousness, but through moving boundaries of truth in our lives. Have you moved the boundaries of truth in your life? Have you become a backslidden boundary mover in compromising the truth in uncomfortable situations? You don't want to stand out as a Christian. You don't want to be mocked or disliked. And I understand that. We all do. None of us like to be mocked. None of us want to be disliked. Shouldn't, I I would say. But in such situations, it's just easier to blend in with the family or with the friends or the co-workers when the truth of Jesus Christ is under attack. I'm not talking about being wise or timely in the way you stand for the truth. That we should do. But what I am talking about is not taking a stand for Christ's truth at all because it is embarrassing or uncomfortable to do so. 
Are we so concerned about our own shame before others that we forget about the shame of the sinless Son of God who willingly suffered as a cursed criminal for sinners? Sinners who deserved eternal, everlasting condemnation in hell. We've forgotten about his shame. We're so concerned about our own. Or perhaps, dear ones, you have begun doubting some truth revealed by God in Scripture and summarized in our subordinate standards. Last Tuesday evening, we spoke of professing Christians, some who say they're Reformed Christians, who have moved the boundaries of truth in denying that God created the universe in six consecutive 24-hour days. The boundaries have been moved with regard to truth due to the influence of ungodly, so-called scientific presuppositions. Some have moved the boundaries of truth in denying a literal hell for all those who have only their own righteousness in which to stand and not the righteousness of Christ. Some have moved the boundaries of truth in denying that Presbyterianism is of divine right alone. That the other options as to church government are not mere options, they're not mere preferences that we can accept. That only Presbyterianism is that which is of divine right and revealed in the scriptures. Some have moved from that particular landmark and have moved the landmark so as to accept other forms of church government. Some have moved the boundaries of truth in denying baptism to infants. Now all of these and many more look to the scriptures to support their moving of the landmarks. But dear ones, even the devil, I'm not, not saying that those who move landmarks are automatically non-Christians. But I'm simply saying that even the devil looked to the scriptures to move certain landmarks to support his denial in moving the boundaries of truth. When he tempted Christ to leap from the pinnacle of the temple in Matthew 4, 6, the devil said, for it is written. The Apostle Paul has warned us that the time will come when members of the church and teachers within the church will not endure sound doctrine. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 3 and 4 it says for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Dear ones, no professing Christian who moves the boundaries is going to say, I'm moving the boundaries because they want to deny the truth and to embrace error. The devil doesn't even say that when he comes with his temptations. Let us therefore, dear ones, ever pray in all humility that God will grant us grace to live within the boundaries of truth. 
which he has revealed in the scriptures and not to backslide from them. Let us have upon our lips the words of Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. You see, our intellectual pride will deceive and mislead us into pushing back those boundaries of truth. And it will always be said that it's in the interest of truth that the boundaries are pushed back. No one's ever going to say, as I said earlier, I'm doing this in the interest of error. No one's going to say, I'm doing this in in the interest of deceiving and misleading. It's always going to be said to be in the interest of truth. And the scripture will be brought to support it. Or at least to attempt to support it. Watch, therefore, with all vigilance and diligence Dear ones, for the words of the enemy come to us even as they did to Eve at the very beginning. Yea, as God said. Test the teachers and the impressions, the light in your own soul that you believe you've received. Test it by the infallible scriptures. Let not the desire for new light and new understanding blind you to the light, the true light, of Scripture. Here was the Lord God is a jealous God and He's jealous for His doctrine, for His worship and for His government. Let us not provoke Him to wrath because we play so loose and free with that which is essential to the very character of God, namely, that He is a God of truth. Not contradicting truths, but one truth just as there is only one God. We've looked at what the sin is involved in moving the ancient landmark. The second question that we would answer briefly this Lord's Day is what is the landmark of our fathers? The removal of the ancient landmark, according to our text in Proverbs 22, verse 28, is rendered a double transgression. First, it is a transgression against my neighbor who is alive right now, for I have moved the landmark to his hurt. I have robbed him by taking his property by taking his honor, by taking his good name, by taking his time, which I owe him, by taking the mercy that I owe him, uh, or I have robbed him by taking from him the truth in doctrine and in life, and by embracing and teaching him my error. I have robbed my neighbor who is living now by moving the landmark. Whenever we move these divinely appointed boundaries in our life, we necessarily rob others who are presently living. But there is a second way in which we transgress when we remove the landmarks, the ancient landmarks, according to our text. It is a transgression against my neighbor who is no longer living, but is dead. 
For observe that Solomon says in Proverbs 22:28, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Dear ones, did you know that you could sin against those who have preceded you in death? How is that possible, someone asked. We sin against the dead by sinning against our fathers who taught clearly the truth revealed in Scripture for us to follow. We slander their profession of the truth when we move the boundaries of the truth. Dylan's our fathers in the faith have blazed a path for us through that theological jungle and have lived and many have been martyred with the truth of Jesus Christ sounding forth as a testimony to not only those who heard them, but as a testimony for us who follow them. And we slander their good name, dear ones, when we do not follow their faithful testimony for the truth. Donald Cargill and James Rinnick died as covenanters for the divine right of Presbyterianism. That was what was upon their tongue. That was the reason for their death. They did not believe that the king had any right to usurp the authority, the crowned rights of Jesus Christ within his church. They died for the descending obligation of our solemn league and covenant. They believed those obligations descended to posterity. They were martyrs for the truth and we sin corporately as well against our fathers when we renounce the biblical truth for which the faithful church of Scotland and other faithful churches stood. For the faithful church of Scotland stood, dear ones, for the national unity of Christ's church. They didn't stand for denominationalism. They didn't stand for sectarianism. They believed the body of Christ should be one church. There should be one national church and one national creed. Christ's church should not be split into hundreds and thousands of different pieces. We are not papists in following our fathers implicitly by way of the error of oral tradition. The papists would appeal to a text like this and say that's all that we're saying is that we should follow. We should not move the landmarks which our fathers have established. Well, there's quite a bit of difference between not moving a landmark which is fallible and which is imposed by mere ecclesiastical authority and is very often in error as opposed to not moving the landmark which our fathers have established, which is based alone upon the authority of God as revealed in the Holy Scriptures. As our fifth term of communion correctly states, an approbation of the faithful contending of our fathers in the faith faithful contendings. Not mere contendings, but faithful. Those which are in agreement with 
and conform to the absolute and infallible standard of God's holy word. We do not believe in placing an implicit faith in the authority of our fathers or in the authority of their confessions of faith because it came merely from our fathers. But we do believe in placing an implicit faith only in the authority of Holy Scripture. And every doctrine, practice in worship, or form of church government that conforms to Holy Scripture. Dear ones, God calls us today to cling in faith to that which was faithfully passed down to us by our fathers, that which conforms to Holy Scripture, to not let their testimony for the truth be trampled under the feet of a world that thrives on moving the ancient boundaries of truth. Let us hear the word of the Lord this Lord's Day as we close. The Lord Jesus speaking to the church of Sardis. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. Hold fast, the Lord Jesus says. The Lord Jesus preaches to you today in the midst of his congregation to hold fast. To hold fast to the truth. Whether you are persecuted, don't move them. Don't move them because it is comfortable or expedient to move them. Don't because it is popular to move them. Don't move them because you feel all alone and by yourself. Hold fast, Jesus says today to me. Hold fast to the truth which I have given to you and I will give unto you the crown of life. Let us stand together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, let us heed the words of our Savior to hold fast to that which we have attained. To not backslide, to not move the boundaries of truth or righteousness, Insofar as in us lays, let us, Lord, look to Thee for the power and the strength to hold fast, to persevere in the truth. Lord, not to be like so many in this world who move the boundaries because they want to, but, Lord, to realize those boundaries are there for our good. Those boundaries are there for thy righteousness sake, for thy justice sake. Those boundaries cannot be moved without great and severe consequence to us and to our loved ones. Help us, Lord, to heed these words this day. Remove not the ancient boundaries which your fathers have set. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 780- Four five zero thirty seven thirty by fax at seven eight zero four six eight ten ninety six or by mail at forty seven ten dash thirty seven A Avenue, Edmonton. That's E D M O N T O N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A capital B, Canada, T six L three T five. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.